0: Welcome to The Future Strategist. It's been a while since we've had an episode, but I'm here again with Greg Cochran. Uh, Greg, how are you doing? Oh, all right. Good, good. So today we're going to talk again about uh, very ancient history. Um, So uh, we're talking today about the Polynesians and how they might have uh, met the Native Americans.
1: Uh, Almost certainly did meet the Native Americans. A a little bit.
0: Okay, why don't you... uh, Yeah, tell us about your, your theories.
1: Oh, they're not mostly mine. Other people have actually gone out and proved this, but, uh, well, it's still interesting to talk about. Um, what it is, is, you know, we know that the Polynesians, uh, ultimately they seem to have been some people who lived in South China. Some of them moved to Taiwan and in Taiwan, some of them invented a better kind of boat, uh, an outrigger canoe, uh, which was more stable, and you could do a lot more things with it. And then they went on and on and on colonizing either areas that were empty or that had people that were probably hunter-gatherers that weren't too competitive with them. So they, they colonized the Philippines and the Malaysia uh, and Indonesia, and they, and they also you know, moved sort of along the north coast of New Guinea and through some islands in the Solomons, And then they started moving all over the Pacific and colonized almost every habitable island out in the Pacific. Uh, So they were, you know, tremendous mariners and explorers. Uh, 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 But uh, but so one question that's sort of obvious is how far did they go? I mean, for example, did they ever get to the Americas? Uh, And it's not, you know, if they did so, it's not a tremendously bigger voyage than some of the ones they did do uh but uh it's hard to know but recently there's been some you know several pieces of evidence that make it pretty clear that there were at least a few visits
0: and we'll, um so just so our listeners get some context the polynesians these are modern people they would be the um the native hawaiians and native new zealanders
1: and and uh and they're actually closely related to people in indonesia and even in some areas of Madagascar. That's how far these people went. They're, oh. they're, those languages are all related: Malayo-Polynesian. Uh, but uh, uh, and uh, yeah, they were, you know, before the uh, when the Europeans started exploring, like in the 1400s, they were the the, the greatest explorers in the world.
0: Like, uh, when did they reach Hawaii? Do we
1: know? I don't. I. Someone may know. I think it's like around the year 1000 or something. It's you know it's not one of their early colonizations uh, because Hawaii is a long way from anywhere. Uh, Hawaii is the most isolated major uh, uh, island chain in the world. Uh, but they, you know, once they got there, it was it was a pretty decent place. They could it had you know the islands were fairly large. Uh, there there's sort of two sorts of islands you run into in the Pacific. One is better than the other for settling. One is what they call high islands, which are typically volcanic and, you know, and they stick up a fair amount above the water, but some of them are atolls, which are basically coral, and they barely stick up above the water. They're, it's possible to live there, but it's harder. And it's actually often more dangerous because when you're only 10 feet above the water or something, you're pretty vulnerable to uh, things like tidal waves and, big storms uh i mean if you're on an island like hawaii you get a little back from the coast probably all you have to worry about is being destroyed by a volcanic eruption but uh 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 yeah anyhow uh uh hawaii was i don't th- it wasn't their la- like the, probably the latest colonization or something close to it the latest major one was probably new zealand that's they seem to have landed in there i forget something like 1300 fairly late uh mm-hmm. in this process uh but uh Uh, some of the others are much earlier The the first one, uh, that was really led to all the others out in the Pacific, I believe was Fiji, which is, you know, farther to the West, closer to where these guys started. But, uh, at any rate, uh, there are, there's one clue that's been known for a long time, which is, uh, you know, the Polynesians, uh, they fished, but they were also farmers. They, they grew various tropical plants, uh, were for their main uh, source of food, taro, uh, breadfruit, things like that. But at one point, an interesting one shows up, a kind of sweet potato that originated in South America. And that's kind of a hint. Uh, And not only that, apparently the word they use for that sweet potato is almost exactly the same as the word that some of the uh, uh, guys in Peru used to, you know, that was very, very similar to their name for the same sweet potato, something like Kumara. And so for years and years, people have suspected there might have been at least a little bit of contact. Uh, But more recently, uh, the Marquesas are, you know, an island chain, which is, it's not real close to Hawaii, but it's closer than most. And it's probably, it's, it's where people think the, those who discovered how settled Hawaii came from. And, somebody was looking at the genetics of some of the islands islanders on the marquesas and what they found was little bits of american indian ancestry but the way you see it in the chromosomes actually tells you a lot see because it's broken into small pieces and that means it didn't happen yesterday or anytime soon you know gradually over generations recombinations breaks like like suppose your mother Uh, suppose your father was Polynesian and your mother was an American Indian. Then half of your chromosomes would have been entirely Polynesian and the other half would have been entirely American Indian. So it's easy to recognize a first generation person, a first generation cross. But over time, those, those, uh, uh, you know, there's recombination and you end up with smaller and smaller segments, which are all one or the other. And by the length of those segments, you could estimate when, uh, this mixing happened. And so it looks like those guys in the Marquesas, they got that little bit of Indian, American Indian ancestry around 1200, which is roughly the time that the archeologists think that that uh, sweet potato showed up. Uh, But it looks like it stopped after a bit because after a while you don't see it, there's no sign of any more. And I would, Uh, In fact, they went to the details that there were apparently they picked up some Indians from several places, some along the Pacific coast of South America, I think some also from Central America, they can tell by little genetic differences. Uh, But uh, it looks like it, uh, you know, it was an interesting thing, but it kind of flamed out. Uh, Why? We could guess. I don't think, you know, no one knows. Uh, They... uh, it may have been a voyage which was possible, but was long enough and risky enough that you, know, you don't want to, even if you did it once or twice, you don't want to really make it a regular thing. Uh, or there could have been other things. I mean maybe they, maybe they fell out. Maybe they ended up fighting. I mean, since the Polynesians always fought with each other at essentially every opportunity, and American Indians were not really famous for being pacifists either. So, but you know, it, if it had gone differently, Maybe they would have ended up with a trade route of some kind, <clears throat> but uh, but it was it was it looks like a limited number of visits and that then that then stopped. Um, but, but the
0: Polynesians have lost the technology that allowed them to get there.
1: Oh, I don't think so. They still had pretty you know they had two types of long distance uh, things. They had the outrigger canoes, and they also had double canoes made from two trees lashed together. And they still had them when they were contacted by Europeans, although there is signs that the like the last few hundred years before European contact, long-distance travel had decreased among the Polynesians, but they could still do it. Well, why it had it decreased? I don't think anybody knows. But uh, I don't think they lost the technology. Uh, but, I mean, um, when's the last time we landed on the moon? <sighs> yeah. I mean, we could do it. But it was a really difficult, expensive, and had some risk. And at, with the given set of technology, you might not want to do it again uh, after a few tries. there's a,
0: a lot of things we can't make now. I mean, we could if we put ten years of effort into it, but there's probably a lot of things that are obsolete. And we had to do it in a year; we we really couldn't do it.
1: We probably could. I mean, that people. I mean. I mean, it didn't take all that long to develop all these things for the first time in the 60s. And I guarantee you, not all that much has been forgotten. And in fact, we know more on many things. I mean, rockets are better, more reliable than they were, uh, and getting better fairly rapidly. Uh, but, but, but your point is valid in the sense that uh, uh, right now it looks like the cost, the fundamental cost of putting things in space, is dropping fairly significantly. In a couple of years it might be ten times lower. I mean, yeah. with you know, if they get this new larger rocket working at SpaceX, uh, it might be ten times lower per pound than I mean inflation adjusted, ten times lower than it was with the with the Saturn V, which was actually a fairly efficient rocket for the time. Mm-hmm. But and when things get ten times cheaper, you re examine what's practical and what's not. So it wouldn't still be cheap to go to the moon, but it would be cheaper. And you know, we might well do it again, if, even more so if we could think of any practical reason for doing, which we don't have right now. But we might at some point. So you know, any time things become vastly cheaper, all your, all your trade-offs change, your choices change. Uh, but um, like one interesting question is, uh, what might they have traded? Well, we know one thing, which is they seem to have gotten uh, a crop from the New World. And there are other crops that they might have got. although not all of them would have prospered in out in the Pacific, but some of them would have. Uh, uh, like, I'm not sure potatoes really like that kind of warm climate, uh, but uh, uh, corn would have. I mean, I don't know. I mean, in fact, I know we grow corn, in, or at least recently we grew corn in Hawaii. People would grow corn, who, people who... Uh, who prepared hybrid seed. Some of it would be done in Hawaii because you could do it in the winter. You could speed up the cycle. Uh, you know, instead of having to only do it in uh, continental U.S. summers, you could you could cut the time in half by doing some of it in Hawaii. Uh, they, I don't know if they still do that, but they used to. Uh, uh, so, but, yeah. I, what, would I, the, but,
0: what would the Polynesians have, have given the, uh, the Native Americans?
1: Uh, well, I mean... The Polynesians, you know, they were pretty sophisticated mariners. Uh, That's one thing, maybe. And there are hints they might have, that in some of those contexts, there's places where, there's like two places on the west coast of the American continents where Indians used a kind of, they used planks that were sewn together to make boats, which is a Polynesian technology. This was done among a tribe that's essentially lived around L.A., and there was another tribe down on the sort of southern coast of Chile that did this, and it's possible that they learned this from the Polynesians. I mean, apparently the technique's pretty similar, but and no one else than the Americans does it. So maybe, uh, so but in general, you know, they their technology, you know, of the Polynesians wasn't what you, you know. Polynesians are Stone Age; they didn't have any metals, they mm-hmm. didn't have any writing uh they didn't have any metallurgy. i mean they weren't using copper uh they didn't have any pottery they they used to when they first started expanding but somehow in the process of going from island to island to island uh they lost it uh uh, they had a bunch of different crops uh and you know they could make stone tools they could make rope things like that but it's hard i mean other than some of their you know their their pretty sophisticated, uh, boats there. You can't I, I at least can't think of too many technological things where they were more advanced than the American Indians. Mostly they were sort of behind them. Uh, but one thing that I could imagine they could have traded, but probably didn't would have been uh, livestock. I mean, the Polynesians had chickens and pigs and I would, uh, see the right way you do this. If you're the, uh, Polynesians and you're looking ahead is you start a trade route and you're basically selling bacon to the Indians. You don't set you don't give them actual pigs because then they raise their own and they're independent of you. You, but, just,
0: give them, you just give them male pigs.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and I, and, uh, in return, I mean, what did the, uh, what did the, uh, Inca for example, have? And the answer is quite a few things. I mean, things like, uh, Uh, like it wouldn't utterly surprise me if we found some sort of copper bowl or gold or silver uh, object in the Marquises. You know, if they brought something back, I mean, nobody ever has. I mean, we'd be talking about a very small number, but it might be found Uh, uh, because those, I mean, the copper things could be useful. The uh, precious metal things would be more decorative, Uh, Mm -hmm. but those could have happened. Uh, Also, uh, I said, like we know, one crop happened. There could have been more, but you know, it all sounds like a kind. You know, like you know, you went over to South America, you touched it with your foot. You said, "I've done it," and then I went home. I'm exaggerating, but I. It looks like i uh, th- It just didn't go on very long, and it wasn't so it's like
0: what we did with the moon, basically.
1: Well, yeah, that's what that's, that's why uh, that's why I said it. Or another yeah. comparison is, you know, uh, the Vikings visited north america just a little bit uh so they tried a colony on newfoundland but it didn't work uh and they continued visits to the mainland of canada to labrador but they were basically just making short visits to get timber you know they're really you know you can get you know big trees uh uh a visit like that uh and, and there aren't any in greenland you know this these were guys from the greenland colony and that mm-hmm. went on for at least a couple of hundred years but uh But it didn't go any farther, as far as we know. Uh, um, So, uh, but it it could have, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, you might call it a false dawn. Uh, Things that start, they could have been interesting, but it didn't really happen. Uh, Oh, like speaking of space travel, uh, Robert Heinlein wrote a series of books, uh, stories called a future history series. And he had... And he, he put out a timeline for it. So, so all these stories fit in this timeline uh, and it uh, a timeline, which he like wrote in the 40s. And one of the interesting things in that timeline is space travel starts in something like the 1960s. And there's a certain amount of it. And then it stops for many years. And the reason given in the notes is originally it's very expensive. It's done for military and propaganda purposes. And then whenever those you know, aren't really active, it stops, you know, like 30, 40, 50 years later, it restarts because technology has changed and there's actually a chance of making some money out of it.
0: That's really impressive. That's an impressive prediction. I mean,
1: you know, in, in between being nutty as a fruitcake, Heinlein could be really insightful. Uh, uh, And actually, particularly in the early years, he was insightful more often that he was nutty as a fruitcake but that's a, it's pretty good for it's a pretty good projection for 42
0: yeah it is for the for the polynesians so they they were better <laughs> than the europeans at the time at at, at ship travel
1: uh, uh i mean yes and no i i mean the uh, european ships were bigger and you know and there were uh, and and people carried lots of cargo i mean did that have been going back to a long time back to I mean, in Roman times, uh, shipping was very important. It happened all the time. Ship, people were shipping around the Mediterranean. But the Mediterranean, if you stick to the summer, which is usually what they did, it doesn't have many storms. It's a relatively easy and safe place. And also, although you do, if you know, and some of the time you will cross open ocean and get out of sight of land, you don't have to do it for very long. It's not nearly as big as the Pacific. So there were people. There was lots of traffic, say, between Egypt and Rome, where they were bringing Egyptian grain to Rome. And they had large ships that carried like, oh, 50, you know, more than a thousand tons of grain. And it was important because it was the only really cheap way of long distance travel. But people didn't go exploring, partly because, I would guess, because the Atlantic is a lot stormier than the Mediterranean. When you start going out in the Atlantic, particularly if you go very far, it's getting riskier. You need better ships. Uh, so if you're talking about ships that could carry lots of cargo and stuff, Europeans had had those longer than the, uh, but it turns out if, um, you know, uh, I mean, and, and one thing is there was sort of a tradition of discovering new islands uh, among the Polynesians. And uh, and then from those islands, you would go and settle to get more islands. Uh, and that didn't really, hadn't really had been happening. I mean, like the islands that people had discovered uh, off off uh, Europe and Africa, uh, I mean, there are small ones. I mean, there are, you know, the you know those have been settled a very long, you know, little islands near like the Hebrides, uh, uh, Orkneys, uh, those have been settled a long, long time ago. I mean, like one of the rules about this, if you can see the island, people will probably settle it. But the Polynesians are probably the first guys who started going way past the side of land. Uh, I mean, like their very first jump where they really get out of the Pacific, uh, like, you know, they were going and settling some parts of the Solomon Islands. There were already people who lived in the Solomon Islands, but there were some dishes available for colonization and they went through them. But the Solomon Islands, uh, you could always see the next one. They're not that far apart and they also have some mountains on them which make them more visible. But after they got to the last one, the original settlers were people sort of like Australian Aborigines a long time ago. They stopped. So they settled those islands, but then they sort of sat in the same place for 40,000 years. But the Polynesians went through them. Then they got to the end, and then they jumped. Their first next settlement is 200 miles out. No, and it's you know it's no way to see it. Uh, how, why did they do that? How did they do that? Uh, again, I don't know. I think the reasonable guess is the intermediate step that that takes you in that direction is you start doing some deep sea fishing. You know, you, you need a reason to go out deeper, and if there's, if you can say catch tuna or something, you know that might be a reason. And then once you're used to going out a hundred miles, yeah, you know, once in a while you might go out two hundred miles and say, hey, interesting, here's a new place to settle, and it's now practical because you guys are good enough sailors you could make that jump. <clears throat> But, uh, I mean, what are the places that people settled out in the Atlantic? They settled Iceland and Greenland, although that's pretty late. I mean, the Greenland colony was founded around 1000 AD. Uh, but, uh, for example, the Azores, they're about a third of the way across crossed the Atlantic. And in classical times, it doesn't look like anybody discovered them. Uh, like, no, no Roman or Greek ships, as far as we know, just went out into the Atlantic. In fact... Let me tell you, there's one problem the Greeks had that the Polynesians did and Columbus did not have. See, the Greeks, after a bit, knew the world was round and knew how big it was. So when Columbus was proposing, you know, he was talking sailing to East Asia, and he had come up with perhaps the most inaccurate estimate of the size of the Earth ever done. And why? Because he wanted it to be that, that way. I mean, so he thought that, you know, the whole distance from Europe to China sailing west would be about 3,000 miles. Why? Because he shopped around and looked at every estimate that had ever been calculated and found the dumbest one that had ever been done. For which, <laughs> So the earth was only about 14,000 miles around instead of 25. I mean, the Greeks knew to within a percent. And, and by the way, a lot of educated people in Europe in Columbus this time also knew that. And they said, yeah, sure, you could probably sail over to China, but it's 10,000 miles. Uh, you can't c- carry enough supplies to make it. And if you did, you wouldn't make any money if you survived. They were absolutely right. The thing they didn't know is that there were two other c- quite interesting continents in between. Now, a little bit before Columbus, again, the ships were getting better. Um, part of it was people started building ships that could go, for example, around England in the North Sea, a ship from there to Scandinavia and stuff and that area that the you know the weather is rough enough, you basically have to build a better ship And but when they did start building better ships, again, more things became possible, so the first there's a few discoveries started happening they found the Azores and the Azores were sort of promising because, you know, they're they, you, they have fertile soil, decent climate, nobody lives there, free land. You know, uh, The Portuguese found it, and you know, for them, it was a, quite a, you know, a pretty nice win. Uh, there are a few, there were some islands off Africa. The Canary Islands had been known by the Romans, and they traded with them some, but people forgot. I mean, I don't think they traded with them a lot. People got out of the habit, and people forgot they were there but they were rediscovered by, I think the Spanish or possibly the Portuguese. There's also a couple of islands near them that had never been inhabited like Madeira. And that was discovered, I believe by the, I think by the Portuguese might've been the Spanish. You know, they're going back and forth on this, but, uh, uh, but some of it is the Polynesians, they always thought there was a reasonable chance there'd be another Island if within their reach. And so they, kept doing it now why they went off of these explorations uh again nobody knows some of it might have been look the island's getting crowded let's see if we can find a new place another thing which is pretty surely happened some of the time is we're losing a war and when the other guys win they're going to kill every single one of us uh but if we build a few big ships you know and somebody says like there was a story once or a hint of something off in that direction let's Let's try it. It's no worse than staying. So some of it may have been refugees uh, and probably was some of the time. Well, in that case, you
0: could always go to another island that you know is inhabited and hope they'll take you as a refugee.
1: (laughs) I don't think uh, that might've happened once in a while, but I think that would have been pretty risky. These islands get full. It doesn't take very long. Like suppose you have a nice island with some farmable land. After a while, you've got people farming all of it. What is their reaction if somebody says, "Hey, would you, you want to take us in?" They'd probably say, "No." I mean, if it means one more of you, it's one less of us, roughly speaking, in a Malthusian. Although you know they weren't perfectly Malthusian, because uh, and this is another interesting thing. This is sort of a similarity between the Amerindian civilizations and the Polynesians. Uh, it is also why why this uh, contact didn't turn into a huge disaster. I don't think either of them had a whole lot of serious communicable diseases. Uh, And, you know, the reason for the Amerindians is they're moving into an uninhabited continent and they went through the Arctic to get there, you know, which in small groups are probably not going to carry very much with you. And there's nothing locally that's really adapted to attack humans or anything very similar. And uh, I don't, I mean, they weren't disease free, but they had a lot less than people in Africa and Europe and Asia, uh, which is one reason they were so vulnerable when you know when real communication starts with Columbus and so forth. But the Polynesians probably had just as little. No, not for quite as long. I mean, they, the Amer- Amerindians have probably been there for twelve or fifteen thousand years. The Polynesians, col- you know, the, colonizing the Pacific with the by the Polynesians is relatively recent. I mean, as I said, like by the, when they got to Hawaii, it might have been a thousand A.D. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so the last colonizations are in that sort of period, but, you know, you have these little islands and although there's a little bit of traffic between them, there's not a lot. Uh, and when you colonize, it's just a small bunch of people. And if anybody's really sick, he may well die before he ever gets to the next island. Uh, I don't know that the Hawaiians had any, uh, the only things I could think they were likely to have would have been something, uh like chickenpox. See, chickenpox, pox, uh, you catch it as a kid, but you, you, it actually is still there in certain nerve cells. And when you're old, it often pops out again as shingles, and then a kid can catch it from you, and that's the, the life cycle. But th- see, this means it can continue to exist in a small group because it can hide for 40 years. Most things can't, so like measles, uh, apparently, it takes a fairly large number of people in close proximity because it, bur- it burns through them, and then everybody's immune. You need new unexposed people, and you need a fairly large population for that. By fairly large, I've heard people say you, it looks like you need half a million people fairly close together to uh, keep measles going. So the number of diseases floating around in, in, you know, in Polynesia and the Pacific is probably close to zero. And it's also fairly similar for the American Indians. So they were two peoples who in this world, who if they met, it wasn't immediately going to be a disaster. I mean, if Europeans or the Chinese or Africans had visited the new world, it was bound to turn into a disaster almost immediately. Although not with the the
0: Vikings though, right? When they
1: first visited. uh, I would say it came close. Uh, I mean, for example, but yeah, it's because, I mean, the total size of the Viking population in Greenland was like a maximum 4,000. They only had one ship a year coming from Europe. Uh, you know, you can, you're you not going to have a lot of circulating things, but they did once in a while. If the timing had been just wrong, the Indians could have been in deep trouble. There was a time in which, look, I'm, I'm pretty sure smallpox got there at least once or twice to, uh, if it had been the same year that they were Trying the green you know the colony in Newfoundland, they might have wiped out half the Indians in, in the Americas because if smallpox had landed anywhere, it spreads real easy but uh but it didn't quite happen so but you know you call that you know you, you got to the other side and you touched the you touched the continent with your toe and then went back but uh, but there was clearly at least a little more contact than that uh, that uh I mean not a huge amount but uh, but but the thing is, we know that neither side really had a lot of diseases to spread. So, I mean, like, would they have gotten along? And I said, that I can't tell you, although I, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up fighting over something. Although I also wouldn't be totally surprised if they had figured out a way to make a trade relationship. You know, both are possible. But at least they wouldn't. It's very unlikely they would have given each other huge epidemics. So that makes this contact much safer than contacts with the older, bigger parts of the world. Uh, uh, I mean, if they had done, you know, like what would happen if they'd gotten, you know, a trade relationship that worked fairly long? I said, you would have had several new crops and things would have shown up in the Americas, although that might not have been as important because the American Indians already had a lot of crops, but the, uh, but more would have gone the other way. Uh, but, but the other thing the American Indians would have got would be pigs and chickens. And by the way, there is some people who think that the chickens you see in Chile might be descended from uh, uh, Polynesian chickens, but it doesn't look like the genetics worked out when people looked at it. So although I'm not absolutely sure they shouldn't look at it one more time just to be because the techniques have been improving. Uh, but uh, uh, I mean, so, you know, it would have probably been kind of a boon for both sides, uh, you know, one of the more lasting advantages you can get from one of these contacts is you come up with new crops or domestic animals, you know, like gold, I mean, gold doesn't really make you any richer, but this fund things like that fundamentally improve your agriculture. I mean, Europe got a lot richer from the potato than it ever did from gold and silver, the Spanish brought back, uh, in fact, all of Eurasia did. I mean, they were. It wasn't that long before they were growing corn in China and Africa too. All of the old world, but uh, but you know, but things could be marginal. I mean, like let's suppose they had a trading relationship and they were starting to do it a little, and then you know they send off three canoes and they happen to run into bad weather and every one of them is you know is never seen again. Uh, you can only. You know, you can only absorb so much risk. And some of it depends upon how incredibly valuable the uh, what whatever you're trading is. So for example, in the early days of uh, exploring the new world, the chance that a ship would not get back, say from Cuba or something, it might have been fifteen percent. Like, that's 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 not a very comfortable risk. Yeah. Uh but you know, with the Spanish, they were saying, well, we are finding, you know, lots of islands with people that are easy to conquer. Some of them have gold. And then we really, uh, we, we find the killer app. We conquer the Aztec Empire, you know, and, and make a fortune on it. It's enough to pay for a lot of lost ships. Uh, the other thing is that when the Europeans were exploring the New World, they were getting better at it. I mean, they were built, making maps, they were understanding the currents and stuff better. It, you, you can get better with time, uh, pretty rapidly actually. So, I mean, I think by the 1750, your chance of dying when you cross the Atlantic was only 10%. I mean, and that's if you're a paid passenger. Uh, 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 it's interesting contrast, people say, well, the chance of a slave di- dying when they were taken from Africa was you know, after they were on the ship. Was about 15%. I said, yeah, because if you were on a comfortable ship, it would be only 10%. I mean, uh, you know, all the early colonists, people like uh, Puritans and Pilgrims and, you know, the guys in Jamestown, they were taking pretty significant risks just coming over in the first place. Uh, Now, there were possible benefits, but uh, now uh, I would bet that the Pacific is actually probably a little easier to deal with than parts of the North Atlantic but you know you get into a typhoon and they happen and you know there are it's perfect there are plenty of ways to, to lose lose those uh, for the Polynesians for those voyages to go bad uh, you know even though you know they're pretty good at what they do uh, but uh, uh, I mean you can probably think of the economics of it whatever you're gaining is it worth losing every tenth uh, crew and ship I and I doubt if it was. I mean, if you had, had something you found in uh, Peru that that after a while the uh, the uh, uh, the Polynesians said shit, we can't do without it. It's, in other words, if they if they had already been refining cocaine, yeah, that that probably would have kept it going. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, we don't know exactly. I mean, another possibility is they got fighting. I mean, there are things like that that uh when you have only the natural hazards it works it Works. if you actually also have to worry about fighting when you land it does not work uh or so it's
0: been one family and something happened to them they had
1: oh yeah you can have a personal tradition like that uh but you know there's if you read about accounts of early exploration of every now and then you hear about so, some guy who's interested or has made a couple of voyages and then they say and humphrey gilbert set out from england with several ships uh on a certain time, and then we never heard of him again. Uh, and they're pretty sure that it, there were, I think there were other ships in the in the group that survived. And they said, yeah, it, it was that storm we went through. It, 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 you know, we lost the ship. It happens. Uh, uh, but you know, the Polynesians, they knew a lot. I mean, they could basically, fig- no, they didn't know any mathematics, but they could figure out their latitude by looking at stars. You could tell how far north or south they were. They could do things like they would know that if you you saw a persistent cloud over on the horizon, that was probably you could get persistent clouds over the mountains in the middle of a high island. Uh, sometimes, like with 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 Hawaii, you had really high mountains, and some of them were active volcanoes. You could some when they were active, they must have acted, you know, like a lighthouse. You could have seen them 150 miles away, the glow on the horizon. So, yeah, so, you know, uh, so they. They knew that there were certain uh, reflecting patterns in the waves that when things were reflecting off a reef or an island, they knew how to use things like that. So the Polynesians knew quite a lot. Now, there are things that Europeans knew they did not. Uh, I mean, Europeans would do dead reckoning. They'd just say, I think I moved this far and in this direction, and I just, you know, I'm just drawing it on a graph, and I add it up, and I try to estimate where I am. And there were guys who were who would do it well enough that they, it was at least useful. I mean, Columbus did dead reckoning, uh, and he could, uh, although it was complicated because he was telling all the guys, you know, he's that I haven't gone as far as you think because the crew was worried he was going too far out into the into nothingness and we wouldn't be able to get home. So he lied to them about what he had on his estimate and said, "Oh, we haven't gone that far." And then he made his personal estimate, but since he was uh, underestim—he was overestimating the speed—the estimate he gave to the crew was closer to the truth than the one he was making for himself. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Columbus was a a really—you know—the perfect mix. He's a very good practical sailor, you know, using the techniques of the day, uh, and he's totally crazy and believes in a theory that only a lunatic would believe. That's the reason that gets him to try this thing that has that nobody else nobody else will do because it's obviously stupid, and it has a tremendous payoff. Now you could have had a rational person do this, but he would have been thinking something different. He would have been saying, "Maybe we'll find some more islands." Like for example, when they found the Azores, that's a pretty valuable find. It's like we found a small, fertile, uninhabited province. You know, that's worth quite a bit. Uh, it's a reasonable, I said, if they'd found another set of islands like the Azores, that would have been a pretty decent win, but it's harder to sell it, see, because finding a connection to China, you know, you could have made huge amounts of money with it if 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 it could easily be done. But, you, know, you know, one of the major international trades of the day was in things, you know, China and Southeast Asia was things like spices and silk and so forth. And they were all very expensive because they went on long-winded routes, you know, through Asia and through the Indian Ocean and so forth. So what he was, you know, to get this financed, you talk about how we're going to, uh, uh, we're gonna ha- you know, we're going to get the Chinese tr- and uh, also had the spice trade from, you know, down around the Philippines. Uh, and uh, that was an, an irrational person who knew what an educated person knew who said, well, you can't do it. It's too far. Now, there was room in between for a rational person who said, you know, if we only found the Azores, that would actually easily pay for this voyage. And that's all we have to find are a few islands. And it might be interesting. Uh, And there were actually hints that something might be out there. Uh, There are are some seeds that fall off plants that live on rivers and coasts on the New World that float a long time. And they're from plants that don't grow in, in Europe. Uh, and so you'll get these weird uh, uh, seeds washing up on the shores in places like England and France and even more in the Azores. They call them sea beans. Mm-hmm. And they came from somewhere. Uh, well, also, you would occasionally get something like uh, a waterlogged, you know, a, a log, a tree that had fallen and it's been swept out to sea. And they might be a kind of wood that nobody had ever seen like you know mahogany or something like that uh so there was a little bit of hints and if you had known everything you would have i mean you would have said oh by the way since i have read all the north sagas they talk about landing uh in this new continent but i don't think columbus had ever heard of those uh uh, at least not very directly if he had He wasn't going in the area they were talking about. That would have been. Then he would have been going, aiming pretty far north. But which he did not do. Uh, There was an interesting thing recently. There was uh, a history of the world written in when was it? 1380 by some Italian monk that was in somebody's collection, and apparently no one had ever read it. Uh, And but somebody, I think at Yale, they got they got the only copy. And there was a classics class, and they translated it for uh, you know just as an exercise in medieval Latin. And they were going through it, and they they see this part. See, this guy li- had had grown up in Genoa, you know, which was a big seafaring town in those days. And he um, he must have talked to sailors from the north, and and they talked about. He said, "Well, you know, there are lands past Greenland," and he talked about it, and. He said, well, here's one, which is to the south of Greenland, and we called it uh, uh, Vindalanda, which is Italian for Vinland. (laughs) And there's this other one, which is a little far across where there are big trees. That's Markalanda, which is Markland. That's what it's called. That's what the Greenlanders called them. And they knew about it. But it was one of those things, you know, there are things that someone in the civilized world knows, but somehow they're not generally known. And uh, apparently, you know, illiterate practical sailors who talk to each other, at least a few of them said, oh, yeah, there's some stuff west of Greenland. But it wasn't. This is the only book of the time that, it, that we know of that it was ever written down. I wonder, we,
0: we've talked before about UFOs. I wonder if it was kind of like that, <laughs> where you know, like the equivalent of pilots saying, yeah, there's these strange stuff. Everyone sees them. But of course, if we tell the big shots, they think we're crazy.
1: Uh, it could be. Uh, I mean, I, I know other examples of things that, there are things that most people knew that no educated person knew. We, I mean, By the way, there are examples of that today, too. But this one is sort of comical. Uh, this uh, There is a guy, uh, who, an Italian, who was a, a professor at one of the early universities, and he ended up concluding that, uh, um, uh, among other things, uh, he was against spontaneous generation. I mean, the, the what, you know, the learned idea was flies, you know, where do flies come from? Well, they come from decomposing things. I said, well, where, what's their origin? Oh, they, they just happen. They come from n- nothing, you know, spontaneous generation. And he said, I don't think so. I think other flies come and lay their eggs. And do you know what his reason was, or at least what got him started? I mean, also he checked, he would put uh meat and then put, you know, like a, Something around it that let in air, but you know, with only tiny holes, some sort of fine cloth, and it would not ever get any maggots. Okay, but you only got him started. See, he had read this book and take and read it seriously—a book that had only been read by every educated person in Europe. You see, there's this scene in the Iliad when Achilles is dead. And they're saying, well, you know, we better bury him pretty soon because otherwise the flies will land on him and they will have maggots and that would be disgusting. (laughs) I mean, it's the, you know, of all the obscure books in the world, it's the Iliad. (laughs) And, but he was like the only person in Europe who was actually awake that afternoon when they're going through it uh, and says, maybe it means what it says. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, But if you'd ask lots of people were not educated they say well everybody knows that i mean there are other things like that where the average ordinary person all knew it but it doesn't get into the books sometimes because there's a learned theory against it uh i know that that would never happen today but uh 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 but anyhow yeah there are things like that so there were apparently some people who knew you know probably in a kind of vague way there were some reachable lands past Greenland. But shit, the average person in Europe had probably barely ever heard of Greenland. Probably not, actually. But so, and, and the other thing is things get lost. Like here, this was a chance for this to to get into the, the stream of written knowledge, except apparently this copy of this guy's history of the world was kept in somebody's collection and then somebody else stole it. Then it was in the basement and nobody ever read it. Or if they did, they didn't do anything with whatever. Maybe they didn't read that page. Maybe they fell asleep before they got to the back of it. Uh, the, uh, I think there were probably, there are, well, again, we know other things like that. Uh, you know, there was the, the story of the FFT, you know, extremely powerful and useful algorithm for uh, dealing with data that only became generally known in 1966.
0: This is the fast
1: uh, Fourier transform. Yeah, the fast Fourier transform. But it was invented by Gauss. <laughs> I mean, by, uh, assuming that Archimedes didn't do it, we, we still, <laughs> that, but it was invented by Gauss in eight, and used by him in 1803. Uh, and what I think is interesting is when you tell people that, most people don't immediately think, well, what I think, which is, what are the other things that are sitting out there right now that if you knew exactly where to look, you would find something that was, you know, incredibly valuable or incredibly interesting. But they're there, at least a few of them. But, that's you know, if that's I knew just, where to look, I already would. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that's like where some the benefit of AI might come in—that it might, you know, read all the literature and find connections and solve a problem in one field with something from another field.
1: Uh, well, I mean, like here, here's the thing: there are records that are very detailed. And they're kind of a pain to read and nobody reads them. So for example, uh when Spain was running Mexico, they were uh fanatical about keeping records about what was going on, who paid the taxes, and so forth. And there are stacks of of these records, you know, somewhere in a basement in Madrid, in a museum or something. And they're not unreadable, they're just kind of difficult. It's somebody written in the style of cursive in slightly, you know, kind of old fashioned, but not unreadable Spanish in a kind of cursive that nobody uses anymore but you could get used to you
0: know
1: uh but but i remember an example there was an account in one of those you know from like 15 or 1600s they talked about a plant that tasted very very sweet but it wasn't sugar and somebody somehow heard about this and I don't remember if it ended up being commercial, but they were talking about develop. They found the chemical in there. It's a use. It was a potentially useful artificial sweetener. It was like 300 times as sweet as sugar. And I don't remember where they ended up practically using it or not, but it's the sort of thing you might find. Uh, uh, But there are other things like that. I guarantee you there are all sorts of Portuguese records that go back a long time in Angola and Mozambique, uh, and I have a couple of things that I think you might possibly find in those Angola records, but I'm not allowed to tell you what it was is yet. But since it would be a royal pain to read through them, I mean, if you could teach AI to, to read old fashioned Portuguese cursive, which I'm sure you could, oh, yeah. I mean, it can't be any harder than American cursive, which is pretty degenerate at this point, uh, you know, and you might find something or, you know, Timbuktu. There's all sorts of old, falling apart Islamic libraries. Now, most of that stuff is probably not interesting, but some of it might be. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's something I definitely look forward to once we. Um, well, we and you know, out. another
1: one which we're working real hard on, and this one I'm sure we will look carefully, are these Herculaneum scrolls. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, the percentage of. Of written material from classical times that still exists today is not very high. We know of many examples of books that would be very interesting if uh, they still existed. We have only like a discussion of it or a few excerpts, uh, um, and uh, those Herculaneum scrolls might contain some of those things. Although, then again, they might contain something the equivalent of uh, you know some somebody's old laundry list or a bunch of porn. You know, we'll see. Uh, but uh there's a lot there're quite a few of them and there's but there's a possibility we'll find and um like you know you know since one of the things that helps motivate people is actually being practically useful as besides just terribly interesting uh one of the things you might possibly find in things of that age would be stuff like uh uh you know like there are there are drugs that are very old but work there're things that people used uh well, you know, one of the recent examples is, um, you know, the Ch- uh, there was a Chinese project to develop a better mal- anti-malaria drug, and one of the groups doing it looked at uh, Chinese herbal medicine and tried to see, is there any ingredient that we see repeatedly showing up in things that are supposed to help against malaria, and they found it, and right now, the most effective anti-malarial drug in the world is derived from artemisin, <laughs> it's from something... Ma- you know, from a plant mentioned in, uh, uh, you know, Taoist herbal medicine, there might be more, which, I mean, one thing, why not look more at Taoist herbal? I mean, even Western medicine is worth looking at. I mean, you know, even though most of it was nonsense, a few parts of it were not, there might be a few more. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we have found things from, uh, you know, fairly primitive peoples, and but sometimes there's a particular substance, a particular plant, a particular thing, and uh, well, I mean quinine. You know, quinine was used by uh, American Indians, although not against malaria, partly because they didn't have any malaria. What people used it for was to inhibit shivering, like you're on you're on you're on a you have to go out. It's bad weather, but you you want to decrease your shivering. That's what they did with it, and then after the Spanish conquered Peru, uh, there were Jesuits who were, they had this idea, they thought there might be some good things to learn from looking at the useful things found in the local plants and stuff. And they heard about how this substance that from this plant would to stop shivering. And since people shiver when they had malaria, they made this totally wrong and totally useful conclusion that it might help against malaria. And it does, but not because it inhibits shivering. It's a complete coincidence. Uh, the only thing that the previous Indian experience could tell you was it's not terribly dangerous to eat a small quantity of it, which is you know useful to know. But and then they tried it, and boom, it treats malaria pretty well. Uh, and so for a long time, the Jesuits had a monopoly of the only useful drug against malaria, which meant, for example, when Oliver Cromwell died, He just said, I'd just better die because I certainly can't risk taking anything that the Jesuits would give me. (laughs) At any rate, but uh, uh, yeah, anyhow, we might call this thing between the Polynesians and the Amerindians kind of a false dawn, but it did have a little bit of consequences. It, you know, the main one we know is a little bit of genetics got transferred over and a new crop, and maybe a little bit of of uh, seafaring technology in the other direction. Uh, so I think what was it? I'm trying to remember the name of the. I think it's the Chumash. You know, they were a tribe that basically lived in what is now Los Angeles. And there's still a few of them around, uh, but they don't actually. I think they just go out down to the dealer and buy a boat now, like everybody else.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Greg, thank you. That's some um, that was very interesting. And hopefully we'll we'll do another podcast soon.
1: Okay. Anyhow, take care. Thank you.